0: it's Charlie O'Shields back with another episode of Sketching Stuff. Many of you who listen to this podcast know by now I'm a very nostalgic person. I love reminiscing about things from the past and thinking back to little moments that I enjoyed as a kid. Why on earth do I do this? Because I love how much simpler life was in the past, and I also love how thinking about it always keeps me well and truly connected to my inner child. From all of the cool gadgets that that were coming out onto the scene each year to the simplest of things, I've spent most of my life just well and truly fascinated. Another wonderful thing about nostalgia is that its very meaning is a wistful affection for past memories that have happy personal associations. Yeah, not every memory from the past is likely to be perfectly wonderful, but nostalgia allows us to edit out all of those bad bits and simply focus on the beautiful things that happened. Or, as is often the case with me, those oddly beautiful things that just burst into my mind. So I hope you'll join me now on a winding journey of thoughtful stories that came to me once upon a time while I was sketching nostalgia. Welcome to Sketching Stuff, a collection of stories sketched from life. I'll always be a bit retro. When I was a kid back in the late 70s, I was thrilled to get my first console game system called an Atari 2600. By the 80s, I was even more thrilled to have a Nintendo console gaming system. Then I was suddenly an adult out of college and started seeing cool new portable game systems appear. My advanced age didn't stop me from getting a Sega Game Gear for Christmas back in the early 90s. By the turn of the century, a phrase that I guess now means 2000 and beyond, I was still fascinated by the idea of holding a video game in my hands. In 2003, four years before the world would ever see an iPhone, Nintendo released the Game Boy Advance SP, which just looked really cool, so I had to have one. It was awesome, compact, and mine was silver. As for the games, Mario Kart was and still is my favorite video game of all time. You get to race around various tracks while shooting turtle shells and other items at your opponents to slow them down. It's non-violent and incredibly cute so I adored it. I still have this game system and Philippe pulled it back out to play recently, enjoying a brief little trip back in time. But today, of course, our phones are capable of playing all types of games at a resolution that would have seemed impossible back in those days. The year after I was born, the popular game Pong was released in the first gaming console system, the Magnavox Odyssey. So video games and I sort of grew up together. At the same time, personal computers were also entering the scene when I was a kid but truly took stride in the 80s. I still remember my Commodore 64 computer that I thought was the most amazing thing in the world only to be opaque by the Commodore 128 a few years later. Soon, of course, the 90s would bring the world wide web and everything would change once again. Looking back, I adore the time period that I grew up in because I was precisely the right age to enjoy each new thing as it happened. And while insanely new things were appearing every couple of years, these days things have slowed down a bit. Smartphones are mature devices that don't really come with anything incredibly new or world changing when a new one is released. I finally upgraded my phone after four years of using my previous one, and was a bit underwhelmed by the difference. And today, I see many people much younger than I am who are fascinated by these older devices. I really can't blame them. They were truly cool things to behold. While there's no denying the convenience of things that can be grabbed virtually out of the sky, there's still something alluring about things that are actually tangible a game or record that comes with colorful packaging that you can hold in your hands. So I'm quite happy that I've had a chance to watch technology grow up. It makes me much more appreciative of all the advancements that have happened over the years. I once went with friends to an unusual performance by the Kansas City Symphony where we watched the very first Star Wars movie from 1977 while they performed the soundtrack live my favorite movie from childhood, combined with a live musical performance that echoes the days of silent films, decades before I was born. It sounds like the perfect combination to me. Though change is exciting and new technology will always spark my curiosity, the past is rich with all of the stories that brought us to this point. That's why no matter what new thing comes along, I'll always be a bit retro. What the heck is glossy? Sometimes I write prompts that momentarily confound even me, like a prompt of glossy once. As I was leaving work, I asked my creative team what came to mind with this word, which quickly prompted suggestions along with a debate. No, that's not glossy, it's shiny, the debate began and continued from there. So without intention, I created a nefarious prompt. I began to run through things in my head, having the same debate with myself while I was heading home. With no idea what I should paint that night, I opted for tomorrow morning's breakfast. This will consist of some pancakes with syrup, assuming syrup must somehow qualify as glossy, along with even the pat of butter on top. A requirement, really, if you're going to have pancakes properly. Also, it's been a long week and I'm rather excited for the weekend ahead. Not because we have any particular plans, but mostly because we have no plans at all, save the pancakes. To me, that's the perfect start to the weekend break. An equally perfect start is not bothering to think too much about things and just go with what comes to mind. But I was still rather distracted by what actually qualifies something as glossy, so I looked up the word. According to the dictionary, it means shiny and smooth, which means that shiny objects apparently count as long as they don't contain jagged elements. Words are a funny thing indeed. It seems sometimes we have more words than we need to describe things, which only creates a sort of confusion rather than the clarity one might expect. As I type these posts each day, I... I try to use the words that best fit what I'm trying to say, but I'm often at a loss for the perfect word. The one that changes a bland sentence into the one with a bit more interest as I intended. I think this is when one should go back over a post and correct things just a bit. But I just type as I think. These are truly spontaneous rambles, so bless your heart for listening along. As much as art can create emotions and trigger responses, words are capable of doing the very same thing. I tend to approach both with wild abandon, simply hoping the combination comes together in some meaningful way. The thing that I love most about art and writing is that it's a wonderful way to press the reset button. I've had thousands of things to deal with this week, and each night I can just say, screw it, let's take a break. Without my nightly ritual of painting and posting, I think I'd probably lose what's left of my mind. And in those moments while I'm painting and madly typing, I'm not thinking about the week I just survived. I'm thinking about all of the little things around me that make my life so special. Philippe is singing along to the song we have playing while dishing out some spaghetti. This is also the sign that I'm nearly at the end of this post and need to be finished quickly. Phineas is plodding around on the floor like a government inspector, occasionally sneezing at something he finds out of place. It's all perfectly simple, unnotable really, but it's the most wonderful feeling of all the perfect moment when I take my little hour to paint and write about random things that come to mind, even getting totally lost in the question of, what the heck is glossy? A whale of a time. Once I sketched an example of one of the many Tommy Waterfall games, where you push a button and air blows all the contents inside around while you desperately try to get all the little balls or rings into their proper place. These were popular in the late 70s and early 80s, so I was just the right age for the launch of these things and ended up with several of them. I also have a soft spot for this infuriating whale and a love-hate relationship that continues to this day. The goal of this game is to get the little balls inside the whale without making him tip over and, well, lose his balls. Looking back, this was sort of weird. To play, you press the button just so and try to get a measured airflow that will gently let each ball float up and around, hopefully landing in the little whale's blowhole. Yeah, definitely weird. Actually, completing this quest was nearly impossible and much more difficult to master than the Rubik's Cube. That I completed twice. I still never mastered this insidious contraption. But I love these toys. So much fun and something that doesn't even require batteries or have music and flashing lights. You did have to actually add more water into the tank as it would mysteriously evaporate even though it seemed to be perfectly sealed. And it got sort of gross, even without the live fish inside. It was still super sad to see the little plastic whale was barely had enough space to float when I would inevitably forget to take proper care of him. Luckily, I became a much better parent later in life when I actually acquired a dog. But I think dogs are lower maintenance than this guy, and I could at least figure out how their games were meant to be played. I often find myself wanting to check out eBay in search of some of these toys from my youth. The world seems to have gotten busier and somehow more complex. These little things take me back to a time that felt simpler somehow. Perhaps it was just because I was a kid and didn't know what adult problems would be like. Either way, it's nice sometimes to journey back to a time when all you had to worry about was getting your favorite cereal on Saturday morning and taking care of a tiny little plastic whale. Snacking on potato chips. There are some foods from childhood that I still enjoy today as a guilty pleasure, like potato chips, or potato crisps, depending on where you were born. They are a delightful mixture of salt, fat, and carbohydrates that makes most human brains go completely crazy for them, and I am one of those humans. I adore them so much that I rarely ever have them in the house to avoid devouring them by the family-sized bagful. Indeed, I'm simply forced to eat them whenever I discover that chips are the only side available in my lunch combo at the deli. What's a boy to do? Though they come in many flavors, I don't care for anything other than the plain ones or sometimes the sea salt and vinegar variety. I remember seeing an article about a group of scientists testing potato chips on rats and discovering the reward centers in the brains of these rats light up like fireworks. There was more to it than that, and this group of scientists was a bit baffled as they didn't have the secret knowledge of the scientists who had designed these treats in the first place. Yes, potato chips have been scientifically engineered to be addictive, so that's what I tend to use as my excuse for my gluttony. As with most snacks, the older I get, the less I'm able to quickly metabolize them. I would be fine if I only sampled a small handful of potato chips, but doing so is such a cruel torture that I end up just avoiding them entirely. I used to be able to burn calories with the best of them, and it was actually only around three years ago that my childlike metabolism and I had a falling out. I'm not sure the exact day and don't remember having the it's not me, it's you conversation, but we definitely parted ways for good. It was actually around this time that I started sketching for the first time. It was perfect timing as I could at least delight in the fact that my childhood curiosity and I were happily still together and going strong. And I'm happy to report that at least that particular relationship is still experiencing a bit of bliss. Though there are some days where I'm still uncertain as to what I'll make next, and many days where I'm rather unsure as to whether what I'm making is of any interest at all, I'm still perfectly delighted to show up and share a little something. I'm equally delighted by all of my fellow artist friends that have made this journey and thrilled to see your work each and every day Uh, please know that even if i can't always comment i am stalking each and every one of you wait that sounds totally creepy i'm watching each and every one of you okay that still sounds a bit creepy but more in a santa claus sort of way let me just say that i'm loving what each and every one of you make and share each day what i adore about this art experience is there's just as much joy to be found in making art as there is to be found in viewing it what i lack now in metabolism i more than make up for an inspiration i've never been more inspired to create than i am today and for that i have all of my fellow bloggers and social media friends to thank Thanks so much for posting your art, writing, and stories, and filling the world with goodness and hope. You're all amazing, and I feel blessed to have you as part of my life today. Though I can't quite enjoy all of the snacks that I had in childhood, I'm perfectly thrilled that I get to spend each day viewing your beautiful work. For me, it's even better than snacking on potato chips. back when phones were fancy. For a prompt of phone once, I opted to go back in time to when phones were more than just digital bricks. That version can do so much more, but the result is an object that lacks a lot of visual interest. When I was a kid, all of our phones had rotary dials, and while this is not something I miss from a usability standpoint, they did look really cool. Like most early technical wonders, phones were treated like little sculptures of art. They were indeed rather large, so they were not easily hidden from view. But as we enjoy the progress that comes with our ever-changing times, I miss the lack of aesthetic beauty from the past. Our phones, televisions, and even our books are now just little black boxes of varying sizes visually boring to be sure, but it makes the need for handmade art even more important and necessary. So cheers to all of the artists, crafters, and makers in the world for creating each day and making the world a much more visually interesting and exciting place to live. There are lots of things available these days in a vintage or retro look, though I'm not entirely sure what the age cutoff is in those terms. And many items that aren't required in the age of digital like record players still hold a special appeal with a sound that can't quite be replicated digitally. I can only think it's all an answer to those little black boxes there's no longer a functional need to add many of the visual elements that appeared on things before. And as the manufacturing mentality continues to drive things to be made more and more cheaply, aesthetic enhancements are always the first things to go. I used to work in product development for several years, and this was always the case, and got progressively more the case as the years moved forward. But there are still lovely things that pop up from time to time where a bit more time and energy was placed in creating something visually stunning. And the resulting effect is always instant. The product suddenly has more perceived value, and that always makes me happy to see. And when it comes to a product like paper, even the super good stuff, it's really just paper until we artists add our own unique aesthetic. Though yeah, the good paper will definitely help in enhancing the look of things, but it's still the act of the maker that transforms paper into something special. I think that's a really wonderful thing indeed. And though the objects that surround us have become more simplified over time, the things we can create on just a single sheet of paper are often quite astounding. We can bring an object of history back to life again, relive cherished moments, capture a treasured view on a vacation, and create unique gifts for friends. This is why I love making things so much. The possibilities are limited by only my own dreams and imagination. And as I watch all of the wonderful things that our community makes each and every day, I'm thrilled to still be living through a very special time, like those glorious old days, back when phones were fancy. Life in Primary Colors For a prompt of colorful ones, I decided to give it a go with just three primary colors. French Macaron just seemed the right choice for such an exercise. I'm always amazed at what's possible with a very limited palette. I passed by some of these treats today, and they are still on my mind. I didn't eat any, as I find them a bit too sweet, but I think they're rather pretty to look at. I tend to grab for bright, sometimes candy colors rather than using a more muted, natural palette. I was like this as a kid as well when I attacked a box of crayons, digging through to find the brightest colors in the bunch. Soon, a bright pink bird would appear, flying next to a purple cow or a bright orange elephant. I just felt the world look cheerier when painted in bold colors. My tastes have refined somewhat, but I still like to keep my colors a bit bright and more saturated than they could ever possibly be in real life. For me, it captures more the mood I'm hoping to convey than the exact object itself, which is just sort of a happy feeling, the kind you can't always explain. Back in art school, during one of my only painting classes in acrylic, I had a painting due the next day and no idea what I was going to make. While others had been working on their painting for weeks, I was still staring at a blank canvas. I did what any art student might do in such a situation, I downed several beers and then grabbed a couple big yellow sponges. I attacked the canvas with reckless abandon and stupidly bright colors. The end result to my eye was perfectly wretched, an abstract mess of pure energy that was only relevant to me in that moment. But when I took it to class the next day, people saw things I didn't. Moods, feelings, and shapes that I certainly didn't intend and could barely see when they pointed them out to me. But my art wasn't a complete disaster after all. Something happened that made it connect with people. They had an emotional response while viewing it. I left that class feeling a bit better, save the hangover, and went home happy. As for the painting, it was later lost in a huge basement flood and I found it bobbing in the water among the four or five other paintings that I had made for that class. Being acrylic, they sparkled with a shiny plastic sheen half-submersed in the dark water. It was the oddest gallery show I've ever had, but it was somehow fitting. In the midst of such a horrible thing, those sparks of bright colors made me smile. I didn't care about the paintings. I honestly never liked any of them. But in that moment, when I saw that horrible sponge painting float by, I finally saw what they saw. Not the erratic lines or the questionable composition, but the emotions that were bubbling on the surface. Bright strokes of life made impossibly more colorful than any reality could ever mimic. Yet there was still a bit of truth to be found. That moment stuck with me, and now, over 20 years later, when I've decided to try painting again, it's still how I approach my work. It's not the world as it truly exists. It's a happier version of it. It's just like that day back then. My paintings are still spontaneously made, bobbing in water, capturing stolen memories of my life in primary colors. Thanks so much for listening to the Sketching Stuff podcast. I hope you enjoyed it and new episodes will be added bi-weekly. Visit me at sketchingstuff.com to share your comments and stories.